Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. And with us today, we have Audrey McDowell. She is a teacher, and she is on the podcast because today we are going to talk about schooling and why it is terrible and nobody should ever go to school. <laughs> and you got to work on your on your intros. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, say say something that'll get our our host right away. Be like, hey, no, let's let's talk about this because you're wrong about everything. <laughs> Well, I'm expecting that, so. Okay. So uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background in teaching? Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> apologies in advance. I have a cold right now, so I might be coughing. Um, I have been a teacher at a public charter school for two years now. Before that, I went to uh, St. Lawrence University and got my degree in English literature and teaching. While there, I spent uh, God knows how many uh contact hours in various classrooms from elementary to middle to high school in three different schools in New York and one school, uh, a private school actually in London, uh, where I spent four weeks. And so I, I have a decent background in working with kids of all ages in both teaching test prep, um, actually running tests with kids, uh, project-based learning, common core, kind of the basics there excellent so you have the uh the new common core skills too right because that was that was not in school when i was around steven did you get any of the common core stuff um i'm not 100 percent sure if it was called what common core was called back then or if that's what it was what's common core can you lay that down for me so common core is essentially a set of standards um there are some i know that the, the big beef with common core a lot of people put on the internet is like oh they're teaching math this new weird way I don't know much about that. I teach uh, English language arts and social studies. And for me, uh, and I use a mix of both the Common Core, which is the kind of the national standard, and then the Colorado State standards. And the set of standards essentially say in sixth grade, you learn uh, X, Y, and Z in writing, in reading, in fiction and nonfiction. For example, in social studies, sixth graders, they have a focus on like ancient civilizations and Western civilizations. Seventh grade is Eastern Civ and eighth grade is U.S. history. And I know that because I teach uh, at my charter school, sixth, seventh and eighth grade in a mixed classroom. OK, yeah. well, the reason that we are having this podcast is because uh, the podcast is specifically aimed at the Bayesian rationalist community. And for, I don't know, almost as long as it's been around, uh, the community in general has kind of been uh, looking sort of side-eye at the whole schooling system. Uh, I believe one of Robin Hansen's many refrains is that, uh, what is it, schooling isn't about education. And uh, it has recently been coming up again, making the rounds, so we figured we would talk about it this time. Uh, do I basically got that right, Stephen? Yeah, um, I think the other you know reasons it's in the news is that uh, SV wrote a post on it recently. I think inspired by the chapter in Robin Hanson's new book, "The Elephant in the Brain on Education," and uh, that was also related to um, Brian Kaplan's new book, "The Case Against Education." And I'm sorry, Audrey, I missed it. Um, what, what age group did you teach? Sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. So that's middle school. Oh, cool. Awesome. Uh, I just wanted to check if I if that came up later. Should we, uh, I guess, lay down first what the common Bayesian, or not Bayesian, sorry, uh, the common rationalist opinion is about, or at least uh, what the discussion has been recently about education, and then Audrey can, you know, tell us what she thinks from an inside view from the education scene? 
Uh, yeah, that's fine. I also want to disclose that I'm a big fan of teachers in general. Oh, yeah. um, my aunt's a teacher, and uh, I don't think anyone's down on teachers or the enterprise. I think it's the like quote industry unquote. Yeah. And I think the the main the main argument is basically that schools aren't really what their their their, their real purpose isn't actually tied to what they say they do or what they say they're for that it's not so much about like educating people and training them for jobs in the, like the most uh, palatable sense. I think it's like the cases or the arguments against there are like kids uh, or students rather um, don't learn a lot. That's actually applicable to like real life or, or whatever job they're looking to do. Even like in college, the stuff that's taught, or rather they're, they're not taught things that apply to that. Um, the stuff that they're taught uh, is often like quickly forgotten and not retained. And uh, oh, there was a third part. I had this all organized. And I <laughs> got a little, little, little uh, shuffle there before we got on the call. So sorry about that. Inyashi, take over. Okay. Uh, I would like to also say that I do like the enterprise of teaching. I really liked all my teachers. I really liked most of my teachers um, when I was going to school and I, I enjoy teaching. Like I have three younger siblings and, you know, I, I remember teaching them about like the basic physics of how a seatbelt will save your life one day, which was really fun by strapping a, uh, an egg into a roller skate and rolling it into a wall that, uh, so I kind of wanted to be a teacher up until the point where I didn't want to go to college anymore and I couldn't get a teaching job without a degree or some sort of, you know, formal training in that. So defaulted to accounting. Uh, but, the the major problems with education as they're set forth is that a lot of schooling does not seem to be about really teaching people. And I think this was most aptly demonstrated, demonstrated recently when uh, Washington, D.C. announced that they were going to have to start flunking a third of their kids every year. Or was it more than a third of their kids? It was basically it was drastic increase in the number of kids they have to flunk. Uh, simply because they are now going to start enforcing some of the standards that they have. And the standards are basically along the lines of if a kid is 15 minutes late for a period, he counts as uh, gone for the whole day. And if a kid has more than 20% absences in a school year, then he has to be flunked. And a lot of kids in high school there take their younger siblings to their schools first and show up late to their first period. And so they are automatically flunked in a lot of classes. And this this led to various observations along the lines of, you know, the kids aren't really being brought there to learn in so much as they are being corralled as a place to be kept during the day and to be taught things like uh, conformity and submission, which is what employers mainly want. And on top of all that, I, I think one of my major complaints about school is that I believe it's lots of times actively psychologically harmful to people. It is... Socially, it is almost a prison-like environment, the way the kids are set up. And I think it's in large part due to the fact that their their main criteria is, are you there or not? The test is, you know, do you accept this as a makeshift prison for eight hours a day? And that seems to be the most important things. As long as you show up, you get kicked out the door. And like Stephen was saying, a lot of the things that kids are taught, they don't return, retain and they aren't really applicable. I remember seeing a statistic along the lines of during the three months of summer vacation, kids lose like half of what they learned during the year. And that also led to speculation like, is this because they are being taught things they aren't ready for? Or is it a matter of um, 
because kids are kids are just being taught to the test to guess the teacher's password in the parlance of the rationalist community. And over the summer, they forget the teacher's password. Is it due to fraud because their grades are being inflated at the end of the year so they can get moved on? And then they're kind of deflated at the beginning of the year so that it'll look like they've progressed more throughout the course of a year. There's there's a lot of questions, but a lot of what the speculation comes down to is that, look, this thing really isn't all that handy. And uh, unless you're teaching kids to conform, and it just seems like that is my experience too. Like I learned a lot of things in high school, but those were all things that I really wanted to learn. And the things that I was forced to learn, I have forgotten. Even the things that I wanted to learn, I basically never used in my life. I just really enjoyed learning them. And I would have, I would have learned them anyway if I had access to some sort of teachers. But the fact that everyone else in school was forced to be there and resented being there made it a really uncomfortable environment and i don't think children should be forced to be in such settings if they have better things to do with their time i'm sorry for that long rant there <laughs> so <clears throat> a lot of the things that you guys are bringing up are quite valid and come more from the administration and the governmental standpoint than from the education standpoint um and, and this is not just speaking as a because because i basically have a teacher's dream job um I can teach however I want. I have very small classroom size. I get to plan a spring trip to take the kids on. In fact, we're leaving on Sunday to Kansas City. Um, that being said, I have visited and, and worked in plenty of other schools where the focus has been shifting. And that's the good news is that educators uh, are, are pushing back. Educators, we go to school and we, we want to teach, uh, A, the content because we, we love it. <laughs> You know, I'm an English teacher because I love literature, but we also want to teach applicable skills. And that's something that's been focusing on. In fact, my last um, professional, de professional development class uh, was about, they call it the four C's, which is uh, creative thinking, collaboration, communication, and um, critical thinking. Creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, communication. And that's being implemented in classrooms across the country in, in terms of getting students because those are the more marketable skills those are the skills that will actually help you become a lifelong learner that's the goal of most teachers most people who are in the education business to educate is to help kids become lifelong learners and that's why you have fond memories of your teachers yeah and lastly administration is also sort of making that move uh, i visited a public school district in westminster last year which has shifted to the same uh, style of learning that my school uses, which is proficiency-based. Rather than you're graded A, B, C, D, or on a 4.0 scale, you're graded on proficiency. You show proficiency through doing the work, showing that you've mastered a topic. And by mastering it, it that's not just spurting back the content. That's using the skills. You have to be able to research. You have to be able to compile information. You have to be able to write or speak about it. So that, that that's the good news is that a lot of places are trending towards moving towards those skills that you say, well, kids forget it. Yeah, kids forget content. We do, too. Everyone does. Our brains don't have the space for all of it. I was a wonderful math student. I, you know, gone to Calc 2 by the end of high school. Can't remember how to do algebra now because I've not used it in six years. But the more we use those skills, the more they happen. And the summer slide happens even if you're not teaching to the test. My co-teacher and I, there's only two middle school teachers. He teaches math and science. I teach ELA and social studies. 
we see the summer slide happen every year with almost every kid because most of them, when they go off to summer, they don't do any academics. Their parents don't have them read every night. They don't practice math. Um, so these skills I have to often reteach. Here's how you write an essay to kids who've done it with me for two years. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. Doesn't that, so mean, part of that, doesn't that mean, though, that writing an essay really isn't an important skill? Well, the, the point of writing an essay, it's not about here's how, you know, you have to write about um, – the Lord of the Flies or whatnot. It's how do you take the information in your head and put it on paper, which is a skill. You as, you know, you're on Facebook. You wanted to get this podcast together. It took you a skill in order to say, here's the information I have to get across. Here's the order I'm going to put it in. And here's how I'm going to make my sentences flow and cohesive. That's what you were trying to teach with the essay writing or with the oral reports is that um, in many modern jobs, you have to do some sort of writing, some sort of uh, oral report or presentation, uh, customer service. You have to be able to talk to people. Uh, that's part of the collaboration group work. So a lot of the things, assignments that we do, it's not you have to write an essay because essays are important. You have to write an essay because the skills you're building to write it are important. I've seen a lot of distinction being made uh, on really all the posts I've been reading lately between uh, schooling and education, where the the argument is that schooling is, uh, you know, at most uh, or is more of a signaling game where you're showing off rather than being taught very much. Uh, like I can I can afford to sit in school and focus on just one thing for this eight hours. I'll make a great employee. And uh, whereas education is more about learning things and that the the argument being made is that schooling is not required for education due to, I mean, lots of kids who want to learn things will simply learn things. The best way to learn reading for most kids is to play, well, not anymore now that there's voice acting, but it was to play uh, video games that required reading because then all of a sudden they were really motivated to learn how to read. I I have learned almost everything that I have wanted to do uh, by myself with the, you know, I, I think right about sixth grade was the point where school stopped being like really useful. Everything, everything before that, like basic uh, literacy and numeracy was really important and laid a good foundation. But everything after was just fun stuff that I enjoyed learning. And I, I I'm appreciative for that. I really enjoyed it. But I don't think I think that any anyone who wants to learn something will be self-motivated to educate themselves. And that's the best way to learn. And uh, forcing them to go to school can like beat the the joy of learning out of them. I work with middle schoolers every day of my life, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Even kids who are self-motivated still have to learn how to learn. I work with some amazingly self-motivated, intelligent, driven eighth graders and they still have to do the steps in order to, to learn how to learn. You may have had a knack for it or an innate talent. I, I did too. I was a very easy learner. Things came to me very, very easily. But a lot of these kids have to work. They have to, they have to put the effort in in order to gain those skills. Um, and, and they are skills. And then, and then they have to practice them over and over and over again. Um, you know, you say, well, Writing essays, what, what's the point of that? When I went to college in my first year, we were all required to take a class that was basically writing essays 101 because every class required essay writing. 
uh, even in the, the sciences and the STEM. Um, and there's a lot of kids who did not, who really struggled with that because in their schooling, I will say that they didn't practice it much. They, they really did not learn that skill. I did. And so I had the advantage. And so the repetition and then growing the, the depth is what is important. And the depth of the learning will lead to the lifelong learning. You are lucky. Not every kid is that lucky. And some kids take a while to become motivated. Some of them are really intelligent, but they just, they're not motivated until something clicks. And that happens because their brains are still developing. The, the prefrontal cortex, uh, the very front of their brain is the last thing to develop. In fact, it's really not done developing until you're about 25 years old. And so the stuff that, you know, we make a decision. Oh, it's, we decide. I'm going to sit down and put the time into this. They don't have that sort of decision making that they are very impulsive. Uh, that's, that's why kids, we look at them and say, why are you making this dumb decision? They don't think through <laughs> stuff. They don't think through the consequences. And so the same thing applies to education. We think, well, it's obvious. If you want to learn, you can just sit down and learn. But to them, they don't put the pieces together. They don't realize if I don't sit down and do, do you know, learn how to learn now, then I'm going to struggle later. They, they don't put the pieces together. And so they need help to get there. Some of them do it faster than others. I think I, I wanted to add a couple of things to that, that, um, yeah, just, just adding on that point that I think, um, a lot of kids can be like motivated to learn on their own and, you know, pick up what they're interested in. But I think like the, the example that you had of, of, you know, being good at writing essays from school and then having to do it in college. So school trained you well for school in that particular regard, but like, you know, and, and I guess in your professional life, you're also probably writing essays or something because you're, you're close to that system. But so like the other thing that people in the rationality circles say that school is for is like domesticating humans in the sense that our ancestors wouldn't have been good at, uh, and we can, we can look at that by like seeing what happened when, uh, people moved factories to other countries that didn't have the same sort of education system. Um, getting somebody to sit down and do something that they don't really want to do for eight hours a day doesn't come naturally to us. People rebel at that. So getting good at that in school and picking up the skills to like do a job, even if it's not what you're particularly driven to do is something that school does. Um, and I don't think that that's a negative thing, uh, at least for people who want jobs and don't have the luxury of like finding their dream job. Right. So, Cause then, you know, if your work feels like work and you have to, you know, clock in and do stuff like everybody else having, a 15 year or so period or however long kids are in school, 12, I guess K through 12 and then uh, some college or whatever, having practice going by a schedule, you know, like I, I've had lots of jobs and almost all of them make me come in at a certain time. I can take a break for a certain amount of time at lunch or, you know, between or in the middle of, of the day or something. If that, if, if the workplace is the first time you're exposed to that sort of environment, people would freak out. And in fact, I do. I think that uh, Hansen talks about some of those cases, and I bet they're in Kaplan's book, which I haven't read. But like I said, I think that there's one you can put a nasty spin on that and say, see, it's just about, you know, corralling people and breaking them. But I don't think that that's that's not what I'm trying to say. I think it's just a, an important facet of the system, but one that people don't really talk about. Um, I just want to backpedal for a second. Uh, I think in the introduction, you know, I used the phrase guessing the teacher's password. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you wanted to explain what that was and if we could get audience feedback on that. Oh, sure. It's a, well, it kind of is what it sounds like where the students don't necessarily 
know the reason behind what's happening. They just know what the student wants to hear. I think uh, Feynman gave an example of this when he was, uh, oh God, it was such a complicated example now that I, I can't recall exactly what it was. It was something about uh, the light coming in from outside and bouncing off a, uh, a lake. And he was uh, asking the students in his class if, if they could use this as a way of determining the polarization of the light. And they all looked at him blankly, and he said something about the, you know, light moving through an index of refraction. And they, like, immediately jumped up and, like, recited word for word exactly what, what you know, all, all the physics terms applicable. And then he was like, well, water is an index of refraction. You can use this knowledge to figure out which way the light is polarized. And I'm, I'm murdering this example because I don't remember the details. But they, they never put those two together and uh, th this was new information to them. So uh, a lot of school seems to be like figuring out what your teacher wants to hear and then giving that to the teacher. And that is, since it's not that valuable of a skill when you are not interacting with the teacher, it tends to fade. And I actually, I, I was a bit of a teacher's pet as a kid, so I loved guessing the teacher's password. I would write like the most exquisite essays and, and get awesome grades on them. But I, when I am not dealing with a teacher, as I haven't in two decades now, I, I don't use that skill. I don't, you know, you don't really use essay writing in the business world at all. You want to get your point across quickly and uh, with as little fuss as possible. I don't know. There's, I mean, I'm not saying it's a useless skill, but I, I think a lot of people say they want education. And I think there's better ways to get it than the school system we have right now. Have you, are you familiar with the unschooling movement at all? Not really. Uh, I'm sure if you define it, I will recognize people in my community who are moving towards that. Oh, yeah. Um, you live in a cool little uh, hippie commune up there. Uh, yeah. Um, odd Reason Crestone, which is like one of the most hippie places here in Colorado. It's kind of neat. Uh, unschooling is when you pull your kids out of school and basically just let them do whatever. Like you don't even do homeschooling, really. I mean, you say you do homeschooling, but uh, the kids run around and play yeah, and educate themselves. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We call those feral kids. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have them. We have them here. Do you find that they tend to learn the things that they're interested in? No, absolutely not. When those kids come into the to the charter school, they have very few skills that they can use um, in order to learn. They've learned that they can get away with things that they want. They've learned that they don't have to you know, hold to any sort of schedule they learn that they don't have to really respect it it's it's actually really difficult with those children sometimes uh and that's not in the well we're the authority and you have to sit down it's uh we all are here to learn and because we're all here to learn you kind of had to sit down and shut up for a little bit so i can help you begin to learn with everyone else so those those kids really do struggle when they come into school i've i've had it too where kids went and quote unquote homeschooled for a year or two and they are always behind academically. Always. Now the those who are inclined to learn and want to learn and were stifled learning, they catch up really quickly. Uh, I have a couple students in my classroom who came in pretty far behind. They're motivated and so they caught up because they wanted to and they're even ahead in some areas and it's awesome to see. But they were definitely uh, uh handicapped when they first got into the school. Now, some, that's not something all homeschooling is inferior and bad, uh, but the homeschooling that these kids had was. Uh, 
Uh, and then kind of to, to, to backtrack to Stephen's point a little bit about um, the learning how to keep a schedule and whatnot. Uh, in my school, it's actually kind of difficult for a lot of the kids, especially because in previous years, we were a very, very loosey goosey school, whatever goes, your heart tells you that you have to, you know, you just can't do it today. So you're going to sit in the corner and blah. And so my co-teacher and I've had to work really hard to instill a schedule because most jobs, most, uh, Things have a schedule. If you say, even if you're a stay at home mom, your kid has a schedule. You have to keep up with the feedings, get the grocery, get the cleaning, all that stuff. It's, there's things that we have to keep up with in our world. And there's another point I was going to make and it's slipping off here. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned the kids that love to learn, even if they were raised feral, when they come in, they catch up pretty quickly. Like, in my opinion, the ideal kind of school would be one where teachers are available and they teach, but attendance isn't mandatory. Like, what do you do with the kids who are forced to be there and don't want to be there? Because in my experience, that was what made school really crappy was those students. Yeah, and it it depends on the severity of that student's uh, dislike. And here's what I say about kids who don't like school. Oftentimes they don't like school because of bad experience with a teacher or they are, um, oftentimes they're not challenged enough. And that is a failing both on administration and on certain educators. Uh, cause I will not, there, there are teachers out there who come in, they get the paycheck. They don't want to, they don't want to interact with the kids. They don't want to be part of that. Uh, and, and that's a problem. I think a big part of fixing education is getting good educators in that. That's a big help. That being said, even with inspired, really engaged educators, uh, there's going to be kids who do not want to be there. Um, so in my classroom, I, I have some kids who are not quite the most motivated. They don't really want to work, but they're there. They, they do put effort in. A, a big part of their schooling or their education is the social aspect, uh, is the aspects of, uh, oh, pause in my head uh, on the sub- subject, uh, and, and a couple big things that are coming into the education world now are things like grit and failing forward, which are life skills. Grit is I have to go in and I have to do this job even if I don't like it. I have to get a paycheck, blah, blah, blah. It, that's the kind of survival, do what you have to do and keep moving on even if you feel defeated. Uh, and then the failing forward is a similar concept. So those kids who maybe not so academically prone or so interested in the academics – they're still learning some of these other skills. My, my school calls them core values. They're still learning the core values. So even though they may not be very good at discussing the crucible, they can at least learn other things that they can then take into further education, whatever path education lies. Now, there are children uh, who unfortunately need a lot of outside help before school is the right place for them. I, I have a student in my classroom who has certain behavior disorders. And even with teachers who really want to, you know, we're there, we're doing, we give them our all. This, this student is unwilling to learn, uncompromising. They blow up the classroom. Uh, in fact, the, the student's no longer in my classroom. He sits out with his computer and does computer work because otherwise he completely disturbs everything in the room. And that sucks. Like it, it's something that I didn't think I would encounter this early in my teaching career. This is the sort of thing where we have to help the student as a whole child before we can ever get him into academics. 
And there's students like that across the country, students with home lives that are completely distracted and they, they can't focus on things. Uh, students um, who are on the streets, students with a myriad of uh, situations that we can't control for in the schools. And so, no, they're not going to be into education. And that's valid. And, and that's some societal things that have to be fixed along with the education. But with the majority of kids who, even if they're not quite into the whole school thing, they'll be engaged in certain parts of the day. They'll be engaged with certain lessons, certain things. It always kind of brings me a smile when I have kind of the students who aren't really into ELA, but they get into a conversation all of a sudden or they really get into some simulation or other. And most good teachers are going to expand their repertoire. They expand the types of lessons that they're teaching and the content and the skills that we're building to try to hit all the kids at least a little bit. The kids who want to be there and into everything, you're going to hit them all the time. The kids who aren't, you're maybe only going to reach them sometimes, but at least you're going to give them something to kind of cling on to, to want to continue in education. I don't know if you can answer this in a, in a public way, uh, since we are, you know, going to be recorded and, and put out on the internet and you are a teacher. So if you can't, that's all right. And we'll move on. But I'm wondering, like, I guess from both of you, what do we, what do we do about the fact that some people just shouldn't be in school? Cause I'm, I'm okay with them not going to school, but that also means they get left behind by society. And you can't, you can't really, I guess you could get a job even without a high school degree if our society was structured a little bit better. I mean, a kid should be able to go and get an apprenticeship with a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician at 14 because at 14, you're, you're old enough to learn those things and go into the working world, but we don't let them. And I think that's pretty fucked up. Mm -hmm. How many 14-year-olds have you interacted with lately, Inyash? Lately? <laughs> Not many, but I remember I was working with my dad when I was 14. I think you're painting a rosy picture of 14-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. So, again, remember remember the brain thing I was talking about? Yeah. If 14-year-olds are capable of learning that stuff, but they are not capable of the responsibility of upholding that position. Now, apprenticeships, I agree with. Uh, in fact, my, my school has mentorships where students learn various uh, skills from various mentors around the community. Some of them are more valuable than others. Uh, but I teach 14-year-olds. That, that's the, the tail end of eighth grade is 14-year-olds. They're not ready to enter the working world. Uh, now, can, can well, go on. And, and, and are they ready to take some jobs, uh, you know, working with family? Because I do have kids who work in their parents' restaurants who work. Uh, manual jobs. In fact, last summer I hired one of my 14 year olds to watch the house, like the, 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 the kind of kid jobs that a lot of us are familiar with. They do that and they're building that stuff up. Uh, a full on apprenticeship or the working world. I, I don't think so. I think that their education would have to extend a little bit longer in a very structured, very, um, scaffolded environment. We have to give them ways to fail without heavy consequences. That's a big benefit of school is that for most kids, they can fail, they can funk a little bit, and there's not going to be serious real-world consequences. If we kick them out of the working world, then all of a sudden they're part of the, their parents paying for the bills. They're part of all these responsibilities that should not be put on them. They are not developed enough yet. They may look old enough. They may sometimes even emotionally act old enough, but they are not. 
So I agree with you with, uh, on that matter, but uh, I, I don't think people are really, you know, fully grown up until they're in their early to mid thirties anyway. And people before the industrial age started taking on adult responsibilities and, you know, supporting themselves and their families at ages like fourteen. I think it's and make that illegal for a reason because it's just not right. A kid should have a childhood. If, you know, why would we push them in the working world at 14 if they're going to be working till they're 60 anyway? Let them have another five or six years of freedom before we make them be a part of that drudgery. I don't. They're going to be 40 years. See, I don't consider being forced to go to school as uh, a, a gift that we're giving to anyone. I would. I would imagine a lot of kids around that age would much rather tool around with a car or something than be forced to come in and be basically uh, in 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 a prison environment where they are forced to sit and just endure hours that they don't want to be there. They're not getting anything out of them. They can't socialize with anyone. I mean, it's no wonder they're miserable in school and they make other people miserable too. I I would also be miserable. I think just taking a a step back is like, there's a difference between like a 14 year old bagging my groceries and one repairing the engine on my car. Right. I I'll trust a 14 year old or, you know, whatever, a 15 or however old they want to be to help me out at a grocery store, but not to like fix my car. Right. So yeah, but he's not going to be fixing you know, should, your car by himself. He's it's, uh, you know, under a apprenticeship program where he's there with another guy and not making very much. He's still basically living at home with his parents. He's, he's being paid in the skills that he's learning as he's working. Sure. And then I think, I mean, there, there's, there's an alternative there that a lot of people take, which is, you know, people don't finish school or they finish high school and, you know, I mean, getting a high school degree doesn't really open any doors for anybody anymore anyway, but, uh, you can do like trade schools after. Like I went to, I got a useless degree in psychology and never did anything with it. And then went and got a, went to a, a coding boot camp and now do that for a living. Yeah. I mean, um, many of our generations community offer automotive courses and stuff to get like a, um, you know, a trade, trade degree kind of thing. Um, or that sort of thing. So, I mean, uh, I guess I was just, I was wanting to just, not get too bogged down in a specific example and just point out that there are other avenues to go down that sort of alleviate some of these concerns maybe. And that's, I think that's mainly what I'm, what I'm coming down on is that I think education is a great thing, but I think schooling is not necessarily the same thing as education and schooling is not necessarily right for everyone. And I think our society is kind of fucked up in the way that it forces everyone to go to school. Well, like you said too, you asked, you know, what do we do with kids who shouldn't be in school? Yeah. And, you know, how I, how you define that is going to be tough, but maybe somebody who, you know, just, you know, I was, I mean, couldn't, can't go to school. I was almost in that camp. I was in trouble a lot, especially in, in elementary and junior high. Um, I got bored and I would just goof around or I'd, I'd, you know, do whatever it was and I would, I would make a mess and make a ruckus and stuff. I don't know how many lines I'd have to cross for someone kicked me out of school, but that would have sucked. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, leaving aside the problem of how you define that line, there's also the problem that, that that it's not like a line where, you know, the kids on this side aren't good for school. The kids on this side are because um, let me rephrase that. Uh, maybe the kids who are good for school are in a box and there's all different kinds of places to be outside that box. And so you know, if you're not good for one kind of school, you might be good for another kind. But we can't set up institutions for every kind of non-typical learner or something, right? Right. Well, um, yeah, there's many ways to get an education. Like, a lot of our generation's greatest programmers dropped out of high school. Well, one of the things I'm sort of worried about is that in the modern society, the way it's set up, 
if you don't have a certain amount of both education and on top of that, just raw intellect, if you don't meet a certain minimum level, you're basically unemployable. And, you know, it's creeping up every year. I, in a hundred years from now, you know, even unless you're like in the top 10% uh, intellectually, it may be that 90% of the human population simply cannot be economically employed in any useful field. And what do we do then? Now it- now I feel like we're getting far afield. That doesn't really relate to the education system. Okay, that's true. Sorry. That, that, that's just a. That's just like we're all fucked. We're all you know in fifty years, and that that's that's probably true no matter what. That's not relating to whether or not it makes sense to make high school kids read Shakespeare or something, right? Right, right. Um, or or whatever other thing. Don't get me wrong. I I uh, I'm enjoying where you're going, but I feel like we're getting far afield, and I don't want to leave leave Audrey uh, like. I mean, if you find, what do you what do you think? Is this something you want to talk about? Or <laughs> I, I, I mean, we can look at many different models of the future and where we could go. But if we look at the trend, education, um, more and more people are getting an education. Now, that's not to say that other people left behind. Uh, when I was in college, I read a book about a woman and her child, uh, her whole family, and they they're a white family living near the Appalachians. They're illiterate. And the book was about the the author trying to teach mother and son how to read. It's absolutely heartbreaking because the mother was trying to learn how to read because she realized how little she had and, and what what how few opportunities she had by not having this. And then they got in fights with her husband because he was illiterate and proud of it almost. Uh, and it was like a societal thing with their family. And here's the thing: I'm an educator. My goal is to give as much edu- impart as much education as I can to as many as I can. And that's, that's the trend with education. We're trying, uh, educators, uh, not just across the country, but internationally, uh, and, and administrations are starting to hop on it too. They're trying to alleviate these problems of it's a prison. We're not actually teaching them. They're not taking this into it. It's, it's just basically keeping count of the, the minor, you know, the, 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 um, the young citizens in our country. And there are people out there, absolutely, who really aren't going to do well in education. They're, they're not going to do well in high school. They're not going to go to college. They may even drop out of high school. Uh, like if you ask me, Audrey, look at your class. Can you point out any of your students that, you know, really aren't going to benefit much from education? I say, yep, that one there. He's not motivated. They're, they're just they're going to be content doing something that doesn't require an education for their life. And that's fine. But... To say, well, some people are bored, some of them are acting out, some of them aren't getting anything out of it, so let's scrap the whole thing, is absolutely ridiculous. Graduation rates are rising. People going to college, the numbers are rising. Uh, the trend is positive. Uh, I was just looking before we hopped on here, um, some essays that people wrote about education and how it looks in 2030. And they're looking at statistics and the trends and you know, what education means and how we're trying to implement it. And people are, are really, a lot of teachers and a lot of schools are trying to make the move from what you call schooling to education. It is highly valued. And making that move will inevitably leave some people behind. That's what happens in a society. Not everyone's going to be on the same wavelength. But education, the more of it we can provide, the, the more different things I say with apprenticeships, let's keep them in school. Let's have them do academics in the morning, send them off to the apprenticeship in the afternoon. Maybe they have two different ones 
every week so they can get a feel for the different fields out there, the different trades. Uh, I'm all for access to higher education, be it trade school, online, college, whatever we do. The more education someone has, the more opportunities that open up in front of them. That's just the reality of the society we live in today. I was also looking at statistics in terms of education versus uh, annual salary or income. And the, it's it's true. The, the higher education, the more likely the higher income. Now, that's not all the way across the board. I'm a teacher in rural Colorado. I make very little money and I you know, have a bachelor's degree. That didn't hold true in terms of the trend. But I had opportunities. I didn't have to pursue teaching. I could have done so many, so much else with the education I have. A lot of people I talk to who have either, you know, they've graduated high school and they've gone to college, but they didn't complete a degree or they didn't get to go to college. Uh, they lament that they wanted a higher education. Again, that's not speaking for every human being. There are those who aren't going to want it. Whether I don't, I, I still think 14 is too young because I work with 14 year olds. I, I know them. I see how they act. I have them. I have some 14 year old eighth graders who think they're ready for high school and they go up and they all strut about like, I'm in high school. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> and the way you act, it's very, very clear. Uh, my, my boyfriend teaches tech to, to the high schoolers and actually he teaches tech to K 12. It's a K 12 school. And seeing the eighth graders next to the, the high schoolers, it's a clear difference in maturity and ability to sit still and focus on a task that they're interested in. Um, because these eighth grade boys, they're, they love it. They love technology. They love science. They are, they, they don't have the same capacity as the 10th grader, 11th grader to sit and work on a plane for an hour and a half and fiddle around with all the things. They're a, excited about the idea of it, but they don't do the work. And, and that's just the, the degree of maturity. I have a question um, for you. Um, I, I recall that middle school was the, the worst of all the schooling years by far. And uh, you, you just said that the eighth graders like are unable to sit and focus, whereas the 10th graders don't have a problem with it. Uh, is this uh, unless this is something that was like somehow not I don't want to say beaten into them, but um, taught to them in two years of schooling. Uh, do, do you think this was something that they learned in two years or is this do you think more of a biological thing where they just grew up and matured to that point in between eighth and 10th grade where they could now do this. It's a mix. It's a mix. Um, so part of it is that the, the 10th grade just has the capacity to focus more. Um, our middle schoolers, we give them uh, 10 minute breaks between each of the morning classes. We have three morning classes. We have a 10 minute break between each of those. Um, they have, they have recess still. They, we, we make sure to give them PE because they are, they, they have high energy they're emotionally, uh, socially still maturing. Absolutely. They have the capacity to sit still. If you walk into my classroom and, and, and this is just between my classroom, and my co-teachers, uh, you walk into my classroom during study hall, everyone is silent. They're working quietly. They're studious for an hour. They work in, walk into the other teacher's classroom and, you know, things are bouncing off the walls. It's science. It's, it, and that's just kind of my personality versus my co-teachers and, and the way we run our classrooms. Yeah. Now that's not to say I, they're always silent all the time. We do lots of different activities in my classroom, but the kids kind of, that space is a quiet space. Uh, cause I'm a quiet person usually. And, and so I, and, and I didn't like purposely carve it out to be that way. It just kind of became that yeah. I'd play kind of some nice, like 
soundtracks while the kids were working and maybe lots of reading and lots of note taking. And, uh, and that's just the thing that I did. So those, those same two eighth graders can sit in my classroom for an hour and work studiously. Part of it is when they go upstairs, it's, it's like physically changing places in the building changes the way they act. Um, and, and part of that, I think, is just the excitement. They want to be in high school, which is awesome. And so because they want to be there, they're kind of bouncing. They get back in their bouncy stage. Um, so, so I don't think that's two years of sit still and, and do nothing, because honestly, the high schoolers are out doing, uh, you know, we, we see them running around more often than our kids are um, in, in that building. It, it, I think it's just a, a case of um, personalities and spaces. Space actually has a big thing. That's actually, you know, part of my professional development is looking at remastering classroom spaces. So you have a space of co- for conversation. You have a space for discussion. You have a space for group work. You have a space for quiet time. And, you know, not all of us are blessed with huge classrooms in order to make those spaces. Uh, but the, the, the spaces moving from one place to another, even within one classroom, can actually help kind of get your brains in certain modes. Yeah. So I think probably it's just their brain mode. And yeah, they're, they're eighth graders. They're still not nearly as developed as a 16 year old. Do you think the, the eighth graders would do better to have some other form of schooling then until they get to the point where it's easier for their biology with their, their brain structure to sit down and do the more studious kind of work that comes more naturally to 16 year old? Like maybe no, I, I just said that they do, they can do it very, yeah. very well. Like you would not, and, and when when I say that they're emotionally, socially, whatnot, less mature, their brains less developed, that's just in a general the way they act and the way they behave. Now, like I'm a middle school teacher, I hated middle school. Yeah. I absolutely, I was unchallenged. I despised. I skipped eighth grade. I wanted to get out of there. <laughs> um, I hated middle school. And when I went to become a teacher, I was like, no, I'm not going to teach middle school. I hated it. I want to teach high school. Then they placed me in middle school classroom. And I loved it because here's the thing with middle schoolers is they, they still have the, the, the energy and the excitement like elementary kids have, but they also are starting to develop their own ability to think independently and think critically. So they're at that kind of sweet spot between elementary and high school where, yes, they can sit down and study, but they can also, you can really get them excited about something, hmm. uh, right? Like people will say, you can't teach the crucible to middle schoolers. You can't teach Lord of the Flies. Those are high school texts. I taught both of those to my middle schoolers because I know that they're mentally capable of it. Did they need my help to understand a lot of it? Oh, absolutely. Were they fired up? Oh, yeah. The kids were out there uh, during Lord of the Flies going, um, sucks to your ass, Mar, and quoting from the book and... You know, almost like, can we just leave us for a day? We'll lure the flies it up. And we're like, no, because we're legally responsible for you. (laughs) So the the kids, they, and that's not to say high schoolers don't have that. But high schoolers, especially in this day and age with the internet, they have a degree of cynicism that the middle schoolers don't have yet. Hmm. So the middle schoolers are the sweet spot where if we ask them to sit down and be quiet and focus for an hour and really put good work in, they will. And man, they produce such good work. Um, I, I should send you some of their short stories with their names redacted sometime because they are absolutely incredible. Um, 
you know, I wish I recorded. We did a model UN uh, about uh, climate change a couple weeks ago, and it was it, they, they 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 were into it. They did the research and they really put forth the time and the effort so they could talk with the uh, other nations and make deals. And then of course they got really excited about it, and then they were like, "No, you betrayed us, Russia. Yeah. You vote for this resolution." And the, the they, they, they can be studious, but they can also be excited about it. And that's a actually a fight that the high school teacher, who is just as inspired and energetic as I am, she's really struggling with the high schoolers because part of their being so quiet is they're also kind of surly. And they are very resentful of the school environment. And, and she's trying to do everything she can to bring them back into it and, sh- and, and have the fun, engaging learning. Um, and it, it's, it takes time. It takes lots of good teachers, lots of years in a row for kids to get there. But I absolutely think if, if we have that, if we have the ducks in a row, if we have the good teaching practices, uh, which the, the, um, the teacher password, that's bad teaching practice. Yeah. Uh, and, and none of the teachers I work with do that because it's bad practice. When, when I say the, the summer slide, that's not me and my co-teacher standing up in the front of the room going, tell us what you remember. We have a, a, it's not really standardized tests, but we have what's called the NWEA map testing and the kids take it three times a year, once in the fall, the winter and the spring. And it studies their growth and it looks at where their holes are and where we can fill those in. It's pretty stress-free. You know, the kids sit down and they do it and they're fine. It's not a stressful test. It's data for us to see where they're going. And that's how we can see the summer slide. Uh, and then we, we don't teach that to that test. I have no idea what's on it. I teach what I teach, and usually because I teach skills, I teach kids how to how to research, how to read, how to analyze, how to understand what they're reading, because um, that's the important part of ELA. It's not you have to read Shakespeare and understand it. It's you have to read and understand what they're saying to you. Look at the bias. Look at the um, you know look at the author's tactics. Uh, are are they using fallacies? Uh, are they using a sort of literary language in order to try to persuade you? Because especially with the internet nowadays, with so many people spouting so much stuff to read, mm-hmm. they have to learn how to sift through the bullshit. I have, I have two questions for you, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, then I have three. And then you have three. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do yours first, or? Um, well, first one's more of a correction. Uh, um, Audrey, I just realized I think I called you Autumn at least twice. Uh, all I see on Skype is A V. And when I move my mouse, I see Enoch Brodsky and then AU uh, on the top. And uh, the only other AU I know is an Autumn. So sorry if I called you the wrong name. I apologize for that. Um, if, if I do it again, don't hesitate to call me out on it. Um, the, the other question was going to just be, I think, just at a high note, I, I imagine that anybody, well, I guess rather many people in the U.S. who are listening to this are going to hear your style of teaching and be crazy jealous. Because um, I think... That the way that, unless, I mean, I just realized I graduated 10 years ago, which makes me feel super old. Um, but unless things have changed a lot in the last decade, I think the way that you're doing it is highly atypical, super desirable and awesome, but I think it's rare. Would you agree with that? So the way I'm teaching, and that's the big reason I'm teaching at the school I am, is because I have ultimate freedom. Every teacher that I work with or have talked to, they want to teach this way. They want this. Now, I teach to standards. I, you know, you can ask me what, what standards are you doing? And I can point out what ones we're doing. Um, and fortunately, a lot of 
districts are turning away from the common core, uh, 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 what's the word script, uh, which I actually, I have taught that before I taught, um, common core, both with the script and then going off script, if you will. And a lot of districts allowing teachers to teach the, the content, but their own way. So it's been kind of a weird decade in that we're trying to figure out how to have standards and how to have standardized education while not uh, stifling the educators. And I think, again, I, I'm an optimist, but I, I think positive trends, teachers are being given some more leeway now as we go on. But almost every teacher that wants to be in that build, in, in, in those buildings, they want to teach the way I teach. Okay, yeah, that's that's sort of the answer I, I expected, but I'm happy to hear that it's it seems like it's getting more and more common. Because, I mean, a lot of the... Uh, my memory of childhood is pretty fuzzy, but I mean, I remember just a lot of, like, covering the same material in history class for, like, five years. It would just start, you know, basically, we do, like, a few weeks on, you know, pre-American history, and then the rest was just, like, um, whatever... Revolutionary War through about World War One, and we would just do that every year with different teachers. It was weird, um, and I think I went to what's considered a good high school. And my high school history teacher, I guess, did totally break that trend. He was awesome. But uh, did you observe? Yeah, I guess. I, did you observe the same sort of uh, thing in the public schools where you were observing or or teacher assisting or whatever you were doing, or were those more uh, less ideal? So it, it depends on the school I was in. Uh, in a couple of the schools in upstate New York, it was more that teachers had the freedom. Uh, in the school I student taught in, they actually kind of used me as a guinea pig because they would just get in the scripts for Common Core. So I, I taught one class by the script and the other class where I took the script and I cut it up and I repasted it and did what I wanted with it. And I basically reported back to my cooperating teacher and said, here's what I did and how I did it and here's how effective it was. And she took that back to the administration. And I think that they're not on script. They, they were kind of in that gray area. If they weren't sure how to implement uh, the Common Core yet. Um, in the schools I visited in Westminster, they absolutely were trying because they, they were trying to get the proficiency based learning. So they and they're a much, much bigger school and school district. There, there are limits. Now, part of the reason I can do what I do is because I have 12 kids in my two classes. Um and so it's a lot easier to do it with a fewer number of kids. That being said, there are plenty of teachers in plenty of districts and the ones I've visited kind of hold true where they're doing their best to get that sort of engagement and that sort of uh, comprehensive education to as, as much as they can. So is it harder in bigger districts? Absolutely. Is it possible? Yeah. Um, I, I had another quick question. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of like more and more kids are seeking higher education. They want to go to college. Um, what's your impression of why that is? Well, so a big part of it is they need it. Uh, and it's kind of an unfortunate circumstances. A lot of jobs nowadays, you, you need a college degree to get your foot in the door. And I sort of hate that. Um, I hate how a lot of, uh, the millennials and younger generation are sort of being forced into such horrible loans just to get a job. I'm a huge advocate for trade schools and associate's degrees and community colleges and other things to get a higher education if one is inclined to do so. Um, 
And so I, part of it's necessity and part of it is uh, kids want to, you know, I have middle schoolers talking to me about, you know, they're, they're applying to these special high schools because they're planning on going to these certain colleges or applying around to colleges and they're excited. They want to do it a lot of, um, and of course, you know, I probably have a very high degree of highly motivated kids uh, percentage wise in my classroom, but they want to get the most education they can. And I think that that's sort of a trend across the country is a lot of kids see a, I need this in order to, to get the sort of job I want and B I kind of want this. It's ed- education is such a, a valuable tool. So that's really what it is. It's a, it's a tool to, in order to get what we need and what we want. Yeah. I, I loved, I mean, being at school and especially like university. I, I mean, I think I just, I have like this, this thing that lights up in me and it's like the, whatever my, my, uh, the, the cultural descendant of like Plato's Academy, just like this is where people are coming to, to acquire knowledge. And I just have this big romantic idea about it. But I think like on the other side of the coin, my, my inner Robin Hansen would probably say that, you know, kids, kids want to go to college. Like you had said, many of them, because they know that they need it for jobs because they need to signal to their employers, their potential future employers that look, I'm the kind of person who can go to college. And so like, yeah. yes, I got an A in biology. I realized this is an accounting position, but I got an A plus in biology. And like their accountant, their, their person, the, the HR people at the accounting position that they want to work for, they don't care that they know biology, but they care that this is the kind of person who can get an A in biology, especially like a hard, you know, a, a tough science or a tough subject. Um, because hey, this is the kind of person, this tells us, you know, not that they, learned anything there that's useful to us, but it, it shows us that they can buckle down, learn hard material and excel at that. Um, yeah. and, I think and the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, I was just going to say that, um, and part of it's yes, yeah, so they can sit down and get that a, but a lot of colleges too are turning towards, I mentioned the four C's earlier and that's a big thing employers are looking for is can, you know, can our, this uh, candidate collaborate how is their critical thinking? Can, are, are they problem solvers? Uh, how, how do they communicate? And that's a big benefit, at least at my college. And, and I know there's other colleges out there that uh, have a focus on teaching these skills through the means of the content. Um, and so I'm hoping that that's the trend that goes both in secondary and higher education is the the workplace skills that they're really looking for. I think that's a big reason a college degree holds uh, so much weight is because it shows a, this person can buckle down and get the work done when they need to. And B more than likely this person has had to uh, collaborate with peers more than likely they've had to do some sort of leadership in either a TA or other uh, position uh, and so on and so forth. And that's the attraction of a, of a degree. And it can go beyond that too, like certain colleges with certain fields. Like my college was a leader in education. And so, uh, if I wanted to stay in New York State and be a teacher there, I would have had an advantage because my college was well known. It had a reputation for spitting out good teachers who were, uh, not just good at their job, but motivated. They were knowledgeable. They had all the different trainings they need. Um, so I, I think that's also part of it. It's not just the, you got an A in biology, good job. 
it's everything that comes with that that I think is attractive to employers. For sure. I didn't mean to, to uh, like push past the other, but the, I guess I like to say that it signals um, uh, the one thing that I said doesn't mean that it doesn't also signal a bunch of other stuff. You're right. Like sure. uh, if it's, um, if it's a more collaborative subject, uh, like the lab component, maybe to a, to a lecture course or something, um, typically you're doing that with other people. And if you can't work with people, you won't get an A in that lab component. Right. Um, right. so yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's valuable to employers too. I think what I was trying to get out with my, with my Hansonian lens was that, um, depending on the, the student and depending on the subject and all that, but I think, uh, he might say that many of them much of the time, are less concerned about learning anything in college. They're more concerned about like, how will this look to my prospective employers with, with the entire signaling package that this will give. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was, um, that's the entire reason I worked at that school in London. I had to study abroad there for four months and we got to choose a four week internship and we still had to interview and like be chosen back. It wasn't like a, here you go thing. But I was like, hmm, I want to go into teaching. I'd love to do an internship that's a bit more fun and breezy because it's the end of my time in London. But no, I have to do this at the school because that's going to look great on a resume. And that's why people do internships. That's why people do work studies and whatnot. Is It's all for that resume. Uh, I was just going to say, we are passing the one-hour mark, so we're going to have to start wrapping it up pretty soon. Uh, I, I did uh, – well, okay – Two, two sort of questions. The first one, um, I noticed when you talked about the high schoolers that uh, you said that they were kind of uh, surly and uh, sort of dissatisfied with school. Do you know what caused them to become that way? I wouldn't say it was dissatisfied and surly with school. It was more with, with life. And I think a big part of that is, especially as kids are going into high school, uh, they have more access to the internet, they have more access to the points of view that's very you know the echo chamber is a real thing because these kids who are the cynical surly ones they're like that with everything not just with school and and part of that and i'm putting up all on the internet part of that's also home life part of that's their life circumstances situations again in in my small town the feral kids phenomenon is real the you know high schoolers who are kind of homeless where their parents just kind of leave them to spend for themselves for eight months is real. Um, so high schoolers to analyze the world around them, analyze their, their home situations and uh, the questioning that began in middle school really becomes a deeper questioning. It becomes resentment. Sometimes it can become all sorts of things. And, and that's because as they're growing up and as they're trying to become who they are, or trying to figure out who they are, it's it's it goes so much further beyond just the school and that's part of when i say the 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 brain development the emotional development uh depending on certain factors in childhood that can hinder that uh depending on if the the child is using substances that will absolutely um hinder that in fact uh the the high school my uh high schools not just mine but i know high schools sometimes have problems with kids smoking weed as much as I'm an advocate for legalizing, it's just like alcohol. If you start it too young and use it too frequently, it can definitely have an impact on your development yeah. in a very much still growing body. So, yeah, it's it's a mix of factors. Some of it might definitely be some of it. Might be oh. Nothing to do with it. It's child by child. 
okay. I so I got now I guess sort of a personal question for for both of you. Uh, I personally felt lucky to have survived high school, and I know that part of that was just the you know the immense depression I was going through at the time. But do did either of you have a similar sort of experience? Uh, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to? Uh, I, I don't mind either way. Um, I guess my, my quick version, uh, is that, I mean, I think, yeah, high school for me was when like life started finally getting good. Uh, like, I mean, you know, kid life was fun too, but the first time I found instructors that were like, if not, you know, PhD experts, although some of them were, they were very knowledgeable in what they were teaching. They weren't the ones who were like, Oh yeah, I'm teaching you Spanish in junior high and I'm two semesters ahead of you at CSU when I take it on at night. Um, or something like that, right? So I had really good educators that, like, being the super annoying student I was, I'd ask tons of questions, not to, like, try and stump the teacher or be a dick, because I was really curious. And in elementary and junior high, um, I had some good junior high teachers, but uh, especially in elementary school, I would just get told to sit down and shut up. And uh, they, I think they felt like they're, you know, like some smart-ass kid is trying to make them look like a fool or something. Um but in high school, I, every teacher I had knew a ton and it was awesome. Um, I mean, at least all the ones I remember, there are probably some that sucks, but all of my, my favorite classes, psychology, biology, chemistry, history, they were all just really gung ho about their subjects and they wanted us to be gung ho about it. So, yeah. um, my, my teachers were all good. It was more the social and psychological situation for me. Oh yeah. Socially, my life was terrible until five years ago. So I can't, I can't really compare there. <laughs> um, I think psychologically I did okay, but I don't think that has anything to do with school. Um, but yeah, uh, Audrey, what do you, what's your, what's your thought? Um, so I, I, education was my solace in high school. Uh, I definitely turned to my teachers, uh, as a source of, um, not just education, but of social comfort. I really struggled in high school socially. Uh, I had quote unquote friends, but they, weren't very they weren't very good friends uh i definitely like a lot of high schoolers out there i struggled with depression uh that turned into some anxiety stuff going into college uh and, and blossomed into more during college but uh you know I, there's lots of things going on so i don't know high school trap i don't look back at it with any sort of fondness i love the things i learned i love the things i did i was in theater and we put on um, some amazing productions that came with the consequence of uh, severe anxiety about the productions because our director was a, I, I don't even know the, the correct term for her. She was a control freak perfectionist who basically lived through the students in our production. So there's, there's just high pressure environment. <laughs> Can I add one thing is I want to point out that I, I, I had a few friends in high school and a couple of them listened to the show. So uh, I don't want to, to dismiss the idea that I, I didn't have friends. I, I made some great long-term life, lifelong friends there. And the other thing relating to the last thing you said, am I alone in suspecting that that trope is super common among like <laughs> junior high and high school music and band and uh, theater teachers? I found those are the ones who took their job the most seriously. I took eighth, I took choir through junior high, and my teachers there seemed to think that they were teaching, you know, the the New York choir. I was going to say New York orchestra, but um, you know, they're like they were 
preparing for the Olympics. Like they, they thought this was the most serious thing. And I mean, I get like taking your job seriously, but they seemed way invested, like, you know, getting mad purple in the face and slamming their fist on a piano and saying, damn it, Zuber. Um, so anyway, yeah. is that a, yeah. I, is, anyone else agree with that trope? <laughs> I, I never. That, that wasn't the choir teachers. I had very chill choir teachers. I could not survive both the choir and, the theater with such divas. <laughs> um, I didn't have so, confidence for theater. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was a ton of fun. And looking back, I'm very happy with it. But during it, it was super stressful, not to mention almost all the theater kids were also involved in sports and like AP or IB and academics. And it was just a, a high pressure environment. And I don't think I even have a single high school friend still on Facebook. Mm. I don't know the last time I spoke to any of them. Um, so I, I had, so for me, oh God. I was going to say for me, educationally wonderful, everything else, pretty shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a similar thing. I really enjoyed the education parts of things. I loved learning stuff, but, uh, I mean, I do still have some friends from high school, my pedo life partner, Drake, you know, I knew from high school and a lot, a lot of, uh, there are some good relationships that came from that, but overwhelmingly, High school was a horrific experience uh, when I wasn't actually learning things. And from almost everyone I've talked to, they all say basically, almost all of them say basically the same thing, that I, I feel lucky to have survived. And I mean, most people do survive it, obviously, but I think it's a really telling thing that everyone feels that way. And I personally believe it is in large part because schools are structured very much in this prison-like way where Everyone has to be there even when they're bored and they don't want to be there. And there's no way to distinguish yourself in any objective way. So it all comes down to social games, to signaling and to having to tear down other people in order to build up your own social capital. And it's I mean, I I hate drawing the analogy back to prisons, but it is kind of like a prison environment where you form these cliques and it's all just about dominating other people and and I think that this is a a horrible thing that we subject almost the entirety of our population to during their formative years. It I love the education aspects, but school has got some serious social issues that I don't think we should put kids through. I think for me, one of the weirdest things was like uh, the monitored bathroom breaks. And I totally get like why that has to be a thing, because otherwise, you know, if there was no limit on when he could leave the room. Unless you had mature kids, like I, in high school, they started cutting back on that. But like in junior high, they're really cracking down because kids would just take off and leave the room and come back 20 minutes later. But it's a 50 minute class and they missed, you know, a too, too big of a fraction of it. But like, you know, you, you've got three bathroom breaks that you can use in my class for the semester. And, you know, so, you know, the uh, analogy to prison, I'm not sure what bathroom breaks are like in prison, but um you could you, you can probably pee more or less when you want uh, if you're not otherwise occupied. But, it, it, you know, things like that, um, I think, just kind of give this air of no autonomy. You know, you, you don't have you don't have the freedom to relieve yourself with without permission. Um, and with that, if you do it too many times in a semester, it, you incur penalties for participation credits or something. Right. Um, that part was super weird. I, I mean, I agree that some of the structural things can can change, but I think a big thing is that the social aspects 
a lot of that's out of the control of the adults of the situation. And part of that is kids learning how to interact with each other, how to, to make this a thing. Um, and, and that's just what's going to happen. Even if we have the most perfect environment, uh, very low stress, you know, full autonomy, yada, 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 there's going to be conflict. There's going to be drama. There's going to be hurt feelings because kids are still figuring that out. The kids have very little empathy skills. The empathy is part of that brain development that's coming along. Uh, they're very me centered. Um, they're very, you know, a lot of them aren't very observant. They don't, I, I mean, and part of my job as, as middle school teacher with my middle schoolers is helping with the drama. Now I, I don't step in all the time. A big thing that I, I feel is that kids kind of have to learn how to interact with each other themselves because we don't have someone ho- looking over our shoulders in our adult lives to say, now you have to go and apologize because you did X, Y, Z. But when it explodes into something big, then we can step in and sit down with them and say, okay, here's what went wrong. You didn't notice it, but they were feeling this and teaching them how to communicate. I think that's something that could be implemented in more schools for sure, but there's going to be drama. I mean, again, I teach 22 kids. I have five eighth grade girls. There's drama between a very, there's, there's no clicks in my school. There's no, um, I don't have enough kids to have clicks. There's not a big like sports atmosphere. There's not a competition atmosphere because we don't really post grades. And it's not like, you know, all these kids got A's so they get to go out early or whatnot. We don't have any of that, but the drama still happens because their, their personalities conflict. They're, they're learning who they are. They're learning how to be with each other. It's friendships. People grow and change and kids who are best friends in elementary are all of a sudden find that their personalities are clashing. They don't know how to deal with that. That's going to happen in the teenage years because of all the development and all the growth that's happening. So I think the the educational system as a whole and parents as well, the adults in the community and the kids' lives can do a better job at both holding their hands and kind of letting them go to learn how to deal with it themselves. It's a delicate balance. And there's times my co-teacher look at me and go, oh, gosh do we need to interfere with this one or can we let them deal with it themselves? And will it go poorly if we do one or the other? It, it, it's very, it's a, it's a hard dynamic. Um, but the, the, the social aspects, it, it's more complex than just you shoving them all in a building and they hate it. There's so much going on there. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Uh, we are at a little over a minute, uh, an hour and 15. Is there any final things that any of you, either of you wanted to say? Um, Thank you for bringing me on. Thanks for listening to uh, – I'm clearly very passionate about this, so I'm kind of holding back. But it's, it's been very interesting to hear what you guys have to say, yeah. and I hope we I, see some improvements. I totally like having passionate guests on. It makes for a more interesting show. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for coming on. I hope this didn't feel too adversarial. Um, I'm not sure what sort of briefing Enosh gave you as to what the, the stance would be over here. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those weird things where like you can be pro the people in the system and anti the system. Um, like I, I'm one of those, yeah, it sounds super cliche, but whatever. I'm one of those people that feel like teachers should be paid four times, five times more. I mean, the, the idea that the people whose job it is to, to, hone and sculpt young minds to bring forward the next generation of workers and voters and thinkers are being paid, um, you know, a, 
bit better than, you know, food service wages and often have to like buy their own supplies to give their students the best experience. That stuff's insane. Uh, so I, I, I think, uh, I guess I just wanted to, to, to make it clear that, you know, we, at least I, I don't want to speak for any Osh, but we, we support the, the endeavor. I think it's just the, um, implementation doesn't really, at least so I, I sort of feel doesn't really match up with, uh, the expressed motivation. Yeah. Um, but it's awesome to hear that there are programs like yours and that, that, that sort of movement is getting more traction. Cause I feel like I would have flourished better in that environment. I'm not the kind of kid that could be cut loose and learn my own thing. Cause I would have stayed at home and played video games all day. Um, but I, so I needed some structure. I needed some corralling, but I didn't need the, the short leash that I had for my first 10 years in school. So, um, Anyway, that was my long way of saying thanks, and this was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree, and you know I've well, okay, I don't totally agree, but uh, I I do agree that if I were to have kids, I would like for you to uh, some you or someone like you to be their teacher because you know uh, that sounds like the sort of way to go forward. If I were to ever put them in any sort of real school, because again, it's it's the system that I have issues with, and. God, did you see that thing about they're trying to pass a law to make it illegal for Colorado teachers to strike? Yeah, that's yes. That yeah, that is. I I mean, I understand that once someone is a teacher, they've invested years of their life into this, and it's their passion. But so you can't just quit. But I would I would strongly want to quit, and I don't see how they're going to have any teachers in the future. I mean, telling someone you can't not work is that's basically slavery, right? Who wants to sign up for a job where you are enslaved? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I agree. I overall, I, I love the concept of education, and I love the trends going forward. And I agree. There's problems in administration in the system. There's problems in my own administration that have made me look at my job and go, "What have I gotten myself into?" But I don't know. I'm hopeful overall. I, I think we're gonna iron out the kinks. Maybe not by the time our kids, if any of us have kids, are, are grown up, but Hopefully in the next 50 years. Oh, God, that's depressing. How many millions hey, of children exactly have to be sacrificed? That sounds super reassuring. I mean, granted, it'll suck for the next, you know, while, but if things are on their way up the whole time, uh, I mean, the other message could be that things are going to get worse until everybody is just miserable. So if, if people in the industry are, are confident that things are getting better, that makes me happy. Oh, yeah, it's true. Getting better yeah. is definitely but, better than getting worse. And, and let me say, that 50-year timeline's not a... Uh, in my mind, that's more every school's implementing all these things. They have great educators across the board. Like that's, that's what I'm going thinking yeah. in, in that timeline. It's, it's going to take a long time to get all that stuff in place, but I'm hoping that that stuff will be put in place very, you know, throughout and, and, and tested and changed and growing and evolving. And I think it will because it is. So it sounds like charter schools are much better options for kids than public schools at this point. Would you agree with that? Depends on the charter school. And and keep in mind, mine is a public charter school. We are under the district umbrella. Uh, and so we do have some limitations, but part of our charter also gives us some freedoms. Uh, I would say, you know, if there's any parents listening in and they say, well, charter school is automatically better, you have to look at the schools themselves. Look at the, the kids who are coming out of it. Look at the educators in it. Look at the what their, their statements are, the programs that they're running, and the things that they're offering. It's really going to depend district by district and school by school. 
Would you support like uh, the 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 um what is it the voucher thing that they've been talking about lately, where if someone doesn't want to take their kids to uh, public schools, they can get a voucher to help offset the cost of a private or a charter school? I mean, yes and no. Well, on the surface, it sounds kind of nice. At the same time, the current administration is putting wanting to put all the money towards the pub, the private schools, and that's absolutely abhorrent and, and cannot happen. Um. Because the majority of kids are in public schools, and even if parents want them to go to a nicer school, there's limitations on transportation, there's limitations on being able to pay for stuff. Um, for example, in my own district, uh, the, the the public school just down the road, they have a bus that can take kids to and from, they have a breakfast and a lunch program, and parents often choose that because they 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 have to work and they can't deal with those things for their kids. Whereas at the charter school, kids have to bring their own lunches. They have to have breakfast beforehand and parents must provide transportation. So it's, it's not as easy as, well, if they want a better school and a voucher is going to help them, there's lots of factors to put in there. And I don't want money diverted away from public schools when they're already so struggling to have funding to get what the kids need. I understand what you're saying, but I think if the public schools are doing so poorly, it would, I would rather like, uh, even very low, low scale um, private schools show up, ones that only charge, you know, the minimum 2000 a year and aren't frills or anything, but simply provide an alternative that, you know, you can put your kid here for, for a year instead for that $2,000. So at least there'd be an option. Again, there, there's lots of things going into that. And a big reason public schools suck right now is because there's no funding in order to help get better. A lot of these programs I'm talking about, those take money. It takes money to bring in people to train the teachers. It takes money to uh, get the curriculum going. It takes money to get the programs online going. And if they don't have that money, they're stuck. And so it unfortunately it does come down. No matter how inspired the education, the, the teachers and the administration are, if they don't have the money to do what they want to do, it's just not going to happen. I will say one thing that I think – uh, is a really useful service of public schools uh, is that it inculcates a shared culture among everyone in the nation, which I think is a valuable service. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for, for, you know, some cultures help, help societies more than others. And I think that is why there were so many schools about what can and can't be taught in schools and the push for school desegregation was all to impose the sorts of culture that we want on literally everyone in our society. So we all have that shared common bedrock. And I think that's why schools are often such a, you know, battleground for activists because it does determine what the culture of the next generation is going to be, at least to some extent. Yeah. I agree. And I'd also want to keep in mind is that this compulsory round, you know, all around education is fairly new in terms of human history. It's only been, you know, a century or two that we've had this sort of thing. So, you know, we, we talk about the, the pros and cons and, and whatnot, but we have a much more educated society now than we've ever had before. And, just like society and technology have grown and changed and usually gotten better, I think that's just going to be the way that this happens here. We're, it's still kind of a baby, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Previous generations and, and societies haven't had to figure out how to educate without falling into all of these pitfalls, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I do think basic numeracy and literacy are just so amazingly valuable and important for everyone in society that, you know, everyone should be required to go to school at least through fifth grade to learn those things. And after that, I mean, I heard just today that 16% of adults can't read above a fourth grade level anyway. So, I mean, it seems like that's all you really need <laughs> to function. And anything above that, would I would be more okay with it being voluntary. Either, you know, find your own way in life or, or keep going to school and keep expanding yourself. I don't my, know. my only <laughs> thought would be if we, if we take that path, it's going to... Everything comes down to money. It's going to divert funding because we have fewer kids in the schools. And the ones who are there and want this opportunity are going to get fewer opportunities. The opportunity is going to close if we take them away. You know, I would be okay with continuing to pay the same amount of schooling taxes that I have now, even when schools are uh, voluntary and attendance drops by half. I'd be you know, happy well, for everyone to suddenly have double the, the funding per student. That would be great. Unfortunately, like states like Colorado, where citizens vote on whether or not to fund schools, they often vote not to. So even if those like you are are for it, a lot of people aren't. And so it, it's it's just this such a hard line to to balance. And yeah, but their taxes wouldn't go up at this point. It would just be that the number of students needed to be serviced by each tax dollar would go down. Although, but they would vote to to, to give less hmm. for for their local schools. Yeah, yeah, it's weird that people don't want to fund their 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 schools in their community. They think, well, all my kids are already out of school. What do I care? It's like, well, you want educated neighbors, right? Um, but this sounds like it's kind of maybe beyond the scope of, of education. Right. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, before you go, is there anything you want to plug or any uh, anything at all that we can put on the website for you? Any, any cool whatever links to... Uh, I don't know anything. I said that really eloquently. <laughs> you could yeah. have used some more education, Stephen. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't really plug stuff. I'm a public servant. Um, <laughs> I, suppose, um I just thought I'd ask if anything comes up. You're welcome to send it our way. I mean, if you guys find any charities or anything for, or like any movements to fund schools and for education. That'd be great. <laughs> All righty, then. We'll, we'll try and find something. Awesome. Right. Thanks, and I'm going to log off so I can go hang with the child. Cool. Have a good time. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again so much. Have a good one. And now on to listener feedback, the listener feedback portion of the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say first that I don't really have any listener feedback to read. I have one from way long ago, which I will touch on, but uh, I have been extremely busy. I uh, was, uh, well, I, you, uh, I, the audience, I'm assuming, noticed that I was gone for one of the episodes recently because I just could not fit it in with everything that I was doing. But uh, I bought a new place, which I had to do major renovations on before I could move in. And then the building that it's in caught fire, and it, it didn't actually damage my unit at all, but it put me way behind schedule. 
And then I had to go to Los Angeles for a week-long workshop and award ceremony since I managed to uh, win one of the Writers of the Future awards for this year. And that was... Fuck yeah, you did. <laughs> that, was, that was a fucking amazing experience. I wrote up a whole big blog post about that. Uh, but you, basically, I just had absolutely no time at all, and I haven't had time to go back and look at the comments or listener feedback for the last two episodes. So I apologize. I'm only going to have one really old one. That's totally fine. I think I will add a couple of good ones in here, but um, one of them will take a while to cover. And I want to I want to give it my best, and I'm actually kind of burnt out. It's like 9:30, and I'm old, so yeah. like 5:30 this morning, which is super dumb. Um, so yeah, I will save those. I did have a um, uh, I don't know what we're going to call it, our whatever this week in rationality thing that we're we're wanting to plug. Yeah. Um, so I'll have one of those, but um. Yeah, I'm ready when you guys are, or rather, when you are. Okay, uh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, if you wanted to do the, well, oh, the let's do the I uh, feedback thing, and then, yeah. Okay, uh, the one feedback that I had from way back was from episode 50, Approaching Rationality with Kyle Moore. Uh, Eddie says, Inyash made the claim that the CDC has killed far more people than it has saved, which I found to be an outrageously unqualified claim, especially coming from you guys, especially on this podcast. And I wanted to say, holy shit, uh, if I said CDC, I am extremely sorry, and I want to walk that back as far as possible because I love the CDC. They have all my hearts. They managed to fucking cure polio and smallpox and, oh my god, Jay Diani's amazing blog post, 500 million but not one more, which is just it's fantastic it is a classic uh in in rationalism rationalism uh the cdc does great work and i love them so uh if i said cdc i apologize what i meant to say was fda and i do think the fda is on net negative i think they do good things with uh food safety which is nice but uh the amount of uh delays and and rejections of beneficial drugs and just the sheer amount of money that has been poured into getting a few drugs to market and stops any other drugs that are less profitable than that being even researched is just a damn disgrace and i i think that they should not be um not be nearly not, not even to one tenth of the level uh as as restrictive on drugs as they are it's like we should have a food administration and a drug administration Yes, and then we should murder yeah. the drug administration. <laughs> yeah, I, my inner libertarian agrees with you, and my inner, like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I imagine that feeling very eloquent at, the, at the, <laughs> this late. Uh, part of me thinks that, like, that could go badly. You know, you don't, you want some, con I, well, in some of my moods, I want some control on, what's hit the, on what hits the shelves, right? Um, but to have what is it, something like 10 or 15 years between, like, we think this works to where it can hit the shelves at Walgreens? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's sort of a huge drag. I, after uh, waiting for five goddamn years for Vasagel, I just finally went and got a vasectomy because I realized it is not going to happen in my in my reproductively productive lifetime. Vasagel, was that some sort of a male contraceptive? Yeah, yeah. It was It was basically uh, like a, the male equivalent of the IUD where they put some things in um, in your vest efferens and it prevents the sperm from going through and it's reversible and they just... Ouch. Yeah, yeah. I just never got around to to approving it. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see that that'd be... I guess 
uh, man, I'm not feeling it. I, I, I hear what you're saying and that sounds good. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think I used all my brain juice. I was trying to, uh, with our guest, I didn't know how much preamble you gave her on like where we were coming from. And then I think I noticed pretty quickly that like her tone said, like, I feel ambushed and I'm like, oh shit. So <laughs> I was I'm, trying I probably to, should. to. Well, I did tell her that I'm rather against schooling the way it is, and that there would be a lot of, you know, I dis, I dislike it, and uh, let's let's start a fight. So I, I think she was she was ready for the the pushback she was going to okay, get. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I, I should have I should have asked about that. We kind of started a few minutes late. Um, yeah, no, uh, I think it was fun. I, I I agree with you on most everything that you were saying, except I felt like we got bogged down a couple times. It was fun because we really disagree. Um, yeah. So I had a uh, um, what were we going to call it? Our whatever rationally interesting thing every two weeks. We yeah, want to completely rip off Julia Galef's uh, rational, rationally speaking pick. Okay. We can't call it the Bayesian conspiracy pick. That sounds that sounds too uh, uh, copyright infringementy. Can we call but, it the uh, Bayesian conspiracy choice? What's 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 really hmm. close to pick? Hmm. CC. All right. The conspirators yeah. will come up with something. By the time this episode... We'll think of something funny. Yeah. In, in two weeks, we'll have something decent. So this was a... Um, there was a fun case in the, I don't know, the history of the rationality movement where um, Eliezer Kowski was responding to the charge that, like, hey, you, like basically the, um, the Neil deGrasse Tyson charge, which he has since changed his mind on after listening to Eliezer Kowski on St. Mary's podcast. Neat. Um, that, yeah, he, he was at like some sort of panel. He grabbed a microphone and he was talking about how, hey, I heard this podcast and changed my mind. So that's kind of cool because yeah. his, his position was, was the fairly standard thing that um, it's easy enough to uh, keep your AI boxed. And by that, <laughs> just, it means like don't, don't, don't plug it into the internet and like just talk to it. And if it seems evil, you just you shoot it with a shotgun or you unplug it. Yeah, um, or, or like you said, if it goes evil, you just throw a glass of water on it. Yes. Um, so uh, that used to be Tyson's stance, and that's a not uncommon uh, thing to encounter. And Zydkowski said, all right, cool. You know what? Um, why don't you play the role of the AI researcher? I'll play the role of the AI. Give me two hours to convince you to let me out of the box. Because Zydkowski wanted to prove the point that uh, if you're encountering something that's smarter than you, who wants to be let out, Humans aren't uh, immune from like unwilling, unwillingly being persuaded, right? Brain yeah. hacking. Um, so the charge was accepted, and under the under the terms that uh, I think the, that the winner would get ten bucks or something, and they couldn't talk about what happened, and uh, it turned out that Yukowski got ten dollars. That's all everyone knows, and so. The moderator of whatever forum this was, because this was the early days of the internet, said, uh, hey, I'm calling bullshit. Let's do this. And Yukoski did it again and won again, and this time 20 bucks. And so there are speculations abound about how he managed to do this. Um, the only hint he would say was that there were no tricks. I just did it the hard way. All of the ways that I could think of to do it were like tricks. Be like, I'll give you $20 after this if you give me $10 now and say, and you know, let people think I won. Or really cheat and like kidnap their children and say, look, uh, you gave your kids back. If you let me win this conversation or something, right. Mm. Uh, or do it on the case of like, think about what this will do for like AI safety research. If people think that 
if, if people think that, that you know this is a threatening problem and I win this or something. Yeah. So anyway, I found a case online. I, I was talking to coworkers about this, and I was Googling AI blocks to send them something, and now I'm finding the link on uh, what looks like lesser wrong, but it, I mean, if it's less wrong, it looks way different than it used to. Whatever it is, uh, the link will be on the oh, website. Yeah, yeah, less wrong actually, uh, lesser wrong has been moved over fully to less wrong recently. So now, uh, what was less wrong is a port of lesser wrong. Hmm. Well, I guess I like the, the name more, but I like yeah. the, I'm gonna have to get used to the new format because Googling now looks different. So that's cool to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, less wrong as it was was basically just an archive, and now it is. Yeah, for you know, sure. An archive plus all this other new interesting discussion that is happening again. It's alive! Yay! Um, yay! So, anyway, this this uh, post was called "How to How to Win the AI Box Experiment." Sometimes, and um, basically, this guy and his friend did this, and uh, the the person playing the AI got out, mm-hmm. and they published their um, their dialogue in a pretty ugly reading format. But I read through the whole thing because it was really interesting. Yeah. And he talks about like the setup, the response afterwards, and like how he felt when the whole thing was going on and after. And uh, there are some constraints that some people think it doesn't doesn't quite pass, but um, or rather that it's not representative. But whatever, I think it, it is considered a win. Um, cool. I mean, he let the AI out of the box at the end. Yeah, but they were like they set up like a specific role playing thing that someone challenged that this isn't exactly indicative of like how it would go it's a long fun post and i i strongly suggest that before you read through the text exchange of how they of how he did this to spend you know the good rationalist five minutes by a clock at least thinking of how you would do this i threw out some ideas earlier but there are other ways and uh this guy went around that i would never have tried i thought it was really interesting and so i had to i had to share this i, I found this a few months ago or a couple months ago and that's actually why i wanted to bring up like the um Oh, that, and we did the episode on Keeping Up with the Rationalists. But um, anyway, this was a lot of fun. Strong recommend to check this out. And the AI Box experiment was, uh, to me, one of the like fun intro topics, especially if AI comes up, which it often does in their daily lives with our coworkers. Um, so I'm being funny. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you don't talk about AI like every other week at your work? You know? I, you, actually, um, I don't because I'm an accountant, but since you're a programmer, I thought maybe you did. No, I was. That's why I realized you didn't laugh. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we I was like, that's kind of cool. I wish I worked in a you know programmer's office pl- place. <laughs> so <laughs> what do they call places where programmers bullshit. are crowds? Like the uh, uh, stables? Is that it? Yeah, that, that sounds right. Ping pong <laughs> <Okay>. table. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's uh, actually they sent out a course that apparently everybody in the company has to take, or at least every dev. I think it's everybody in the company. It's a 50 minute course on AI and machine learning, and this was at like the company all hands webcast thing. I call it the five minute hate because it makes me think of <laughs> 1984. Um, but uh, they they're like, oh yeah, everybody has to take this because this is like this whole new up and coming thing. I'm like, oh fuck off. Mm. And it was a 15 minute course, and I kind of joked, and I was like, "Oh yeah, shit, call Elon Musk. This is easy enough to learn in an hour. We're all gonna die." Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so you mentioned that are people talking about it? The answer is weirdly yes, but not in anything that has anything to do with any of our jobs whatsoever. So okay, um, if so, that was boring, we can cut that. No, no, no. The, how about um, for just me and our Patreon subscribers? Oh ho! You give us a spoiler and tell us how 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 it happened. Or is that is that would that ruin everything? Um, we can have 
we can have it out there, and then I guess our Patreon supporters could go in and find it if they want the spoiler. But it's, I still encourage them to, to go through and read this. But basically what he did was um, he okay, engaged this next with... Okay, this next part oh, yeah. is only for our Patreon subscribers. Ha-ha! We now have exclusive content. Uh, for the rest of you, just go and read it, because that's what Stephen recommends doing anyway. He says it's much more fun to read through it yourself. Okay, yes, continue. I also say that for our Patreon supporters, but if you guys want a quick spoiler, um, yeah. and at the end, the guy is just like, I'm letting you out of the box. Holy and shit. The the uh, the person playing the AI, when he, he was talking about it, uh, he said that he just sat there, he was sweating. Like, hmm. this whole thing, he, they got really into it. Yeah. And that he was there sweating and shaking. And he's like, I thought he was fucking with me, or he was going to be like, haha, or something. But it blew my fucking mind. I Like, reading this is kind of a trip. It was fun. Yeah. Um, so, So, yeah. really, it's important to, to actually read it through and get, like, all the emotion in it. It's like, like a good story. Someone can summarize the story to you, and it doesn't count at all. You know, you actually have to watch Star Wars in order to get Star Wars, you know? Yeah, or Infinity War, which I've now seen three times. It's outstanding. Oh, holy um, shit. Okay. But, oh, that's nothing for me. But, uh, you know, it was, I saw it a couple times last week and then once today. Um, so, I guess, I guess yeah, Star Wars I mean, is a better it example. Is, it's more like, it's more like The Matrix. No one can be told what The Matrix is. <laughs> you have to see it for yourself. That's actually, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I mean, that's fair. I did say within like 90 minutes, unless they're really fast reading or, uh, at skimming. Um, reading the post, is the post itself is pretty long, and then the the text exchange is fairly long as well. So yeah, well, um, I mean, it was a two-hour text exchange. If you just wanted the well, it's surprising, you know, they'd spend a minute or two between things, so it, it was only a few hundred lines long. Oh, um, okay, that's not bad at all. In, specifically, it was in lines because I had to open it in like a non-standard text editor to be able to format it so I could read it. Okay, um, that might have been a Mac problem or something, or however I downloaded it, but whatever it was. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, if you want to save some time, that's how it worked out. But it was a lot of fun. Strong recommend. And uh, that's that. Cool. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, you bet. Okay. Oh, uh, and to our audience, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Hold on. We've got two more things. Oh, yes, Sorry. we do. We have to thank people. We've got, to thank, we've got to thank our sound engineer for bringing this sweet, sweet, audible chocolate to your ears, Kyle Moore. <laughs> and, uh, Inyash, do you want to thank our Patreon supporter this week? Or this sure. Episode? I can totally do that. Uh, this week, we would like to thank Nick Lowry. Have we thanked Nick Lowry before? Man, you're asking the wrong person. Her name sounds familiar. Um, you know what? Maybe he got thanked twice. This week, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporter, Nick Lowry, for uh, helping bring make this possible, bring this to you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. You rock. Yeah. All right. And with that, we can call it an episode. Cool. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You too, man. Bye-bye.